0: All right. It sounds like we're officially live. Like, if you're wondering what happened to the True Well Show,
1: it has not stopped. It's just but a live show, and live shows have
0: hiccups. It's, it's how we roll sometimes. So welcome to the best Tuesday you've had all week. We're going to try the intro all over again without the cracking voice. because <laughs> You missed it. It was awesome. For the most part, <laughs> puberty ended a while ago. <laughs>
1: That sounded like a smoker's cough. That was awesome. <sighs> I get these like long drawn out coughs every once in a while. I'm, I'm like, wow, end up
0: doing uh, some kind of raspy.
1: You know. I know, right? Sorry, pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. there it goes. I,
0: yeah. So I don't know <laughs> what the story is. Anyway, allergy season. Lots of seasons, right? And um,
1: COVID it, season, allergy season. Pick a season.
0: Cocktail. Is so now they're coming out with the COVID and flu combo test. What? Oh yeah. Pretty soon, I'm waiting for there to be, just mark these investment words, right? You remember there was, uh, there was a gal that's being uh, sued over, uh, she created like a blood test protocol and so forth, it blew a company up, it was genetic testing and so forth. This wasn't like a 23andMe thing, but still. and it, And now she's been accused of fraud. And so they're going through the whole event. So I'm waiting for folks to say, oh, well, we got all these different tests that you can take and hoopla hoopla, right?
1: I saw a weird one um,
0: on Facebook. I'm like, we're so, so in the weeds so already. So in the weeds
1: already. Hey, guess what? I hope you brought your weed whacker and your lawnmower because we're going to get into the weeds on a bunch of different topics today. That'll um,
0: be used in a future radio clip. <laughs> so <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, first of all, uh, as you know, my, I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn, in studio as pretty much always. It is Katie Shuck. Right, but we've also got a special guest today who's joining us, a uh, super sophisticated individual, uh, probably one of the best math teachers we've had in studio all day <laughs> <It
2: is. laughs> so Matt thank Dixon. you
0: yeah Matt Dixon joining the show today thanks uh, and this is just it's kind of an interesting one right uh, for a number of reasons we're gonna keep some of that a mystery to our Ooh, listeners Okay, so I there, like mystery there's, there's mystery but uh, we did want to ask Matt to join us. First of all, Matt is going to play a little bit of a role today on the program for us. Yeah, Just a little bit that. of a right? one? It's the one that you get to ask the, when I say something that doesn't make any sense, you have to say, Whoa, what?
2: But then I'd be talking the whole show. So <laughs> oh, <we don't>. oh. <laughs> wow.
1: Wait, where's that? <laughs> I, I know. Oh, see, we need the soundboard. Oh,
0: okay, oh. He's it. going to fit right in. You got it. So. <laughs> Anyhow, today, if you all are just tuning in, right, you should actually go check out podcasts because last week we had a show where we were covering real estate. Which we do
1: on and off from time to time.
0: But it's not been a major topical focus for us because as financial planners, we talk a lot about planning. We talk about entrepreneurship. We talk about structuring. We talk about the investment markets a lot, but investments oftentimes is stocks, bonds, and sort of the, the well, because that's
1: the kind of investments we wield. That that
0: is that's that's the stuff that typically that falls in our wheelhouse. Kay. Okay, but investing is a spectrum of different opportunity sets, right? And real estate is a really important one. Yes. So, first of all, it is a
1: quiver, or was it arrow in the quiver?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna, you're right. I have like a frog in my throat. I'm going to chase this thing the whole darn show. Do you have I? some
1: water? Uh, Are you underwater? It
0: feels like. <laughs> it. So I'm, you know, I'm. If you
1: I'm, start riveting or something, you know, we're yeah, going to. Yeah. I hate when you get that like tickle and you just, it I, won't go I hope away.
0: I just muted the correct microphone.
1: <laughs> so. You turned me off on purpose. You know you did. <laughs> <laughs> you're
0: like, did Katie just get silent while Dave cleared his throat? Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so here's what we're going to talk a little <laughs> bit about real estate wise today and this is going to be relevant to lots of different types of investments okay so it's going to stocks and bonds are going to be appropriate in this discussion but it's really going to center around real estate a lot okay. and, and that's because there have been some proposed tax changes and these changes will have an, a potential effect on the real estate market but some of these changes will affect lots of different investments okay so two one of the biggest proposals out there right now is a change in the capital gains rate.
1: Okay? So are they okay. trying to make it better or worse?
0: That is a subjective
1: question. question. Ah <laughs> okay. right. So what better are they trying for whom? Yeah. For whom. So because what the are they IRS trying? The IRS thinks it's better. <laughs> oh, oh. Perspective is key. <laughs> Indeed. OK, change in the tax. So how are how are they changing the tax well, code
0: or tax rate? So the proposal right now and and let me keep this at the forefront for all of our listeners. OK, proposals are very political in nature. OK, that is about appealing to a group of people. There's a lot of if you've ever heard of like classes in college around political science. Okay, This is a classic example of triangulating around opinion. So you throw an idea out there with the understanding that that idea is not going to be the final version. It's going to be the way that you appeal to a specific group of people and you're also going to anger a different group. Okay, And then you're going to allow people to go through a negotiation process. By the way, this is a really normal technique. Okay. If you've ever been caught in a negotiation, one of the things that a savvy person will do is they will make an outrageous offer to you.
1: Wasn't that like the whole Trump thing? Like Trump would well, just go like high in the sky in because the art he knew. of the
0: deal—that was part of it, right? But you make a really outrageous deal, and people go, "Well, that's just ridiculous," and and so you go, "Well, then what about this?" And they go, "Well, finally you're reaching reality, and now the negotiation begins." But you've recalibrated where somebody's thinking on an issue by picking a really extreme point and then jarring their thinking and then renegotiating back to something that everybody will think is more reasonable but maybe closer to what you had always intended ah okay so this is a political strategy now what has been proposed is A change of capital gains rates to make all of them the same as income tax rates so capital gains rate of they want to raise it to 39 percent okay okay and keep in mind what is a capital gain first off
1: well and there's two different kinds so a capital Well, there's two
0: different lengths right capital gain is a capital gain is a capital correct yeah Uh, it's holding period right? right capital gains are profits right okay and remember profits are different than a dividend payment
1: right they're different than income
0: profits are different than earnings right okay profits are if you buy something for one value and sell it for a higher value the difference between what you purchased it for and what you sold it for is a gain that gain is compared to a holding period is it less than one year or longer than one year
1: and by the way to clarify it's not a calendar year (laughs) it's 365 days like because some people will say like oh i bought it in january and i sold it in december but like if you bought it january 5th and sold it the fall
0: if the radio listeners could have seen my oh my gosh he totally rolled his his eyes at me like you all you all heard the eye roll how many people out there believe like if i buy this in december of this year it will be a long term capital gain in January. <laughs> and if you believe that, I would go, You're terribly misinformed, and I can think of other more insulting things to call you.
1: Well, thank you for that. And we know our listeners are smarter than <laughs> exactly. that. But I I'm like, like to, to clarify. Our
0: listeners already nailed it, so that's good.
1: Well, I <laughs> ah, that was not what I was saying you, David, not. But, I'm just but chuckling when but you're there's like times
0: calendar year as opposed to twelve or as opposed to three hundred and sixty five days. I'm like the years years. okay but
1: even but even then sometimes (laughs) people in their mind will do short-term it's okay my voice cracked I know (laughs) I was making fun of him um, you know if you bought it January 5th and then like sold it January 3rd the following year like sometimes they're like well I bought it in January and I can sell it in January
0: yeah no it's actually 366 Days.
1: Well, that's kind of my point correct, is sometimes correct. we do mental accounting in ways where we're like, oh, no, it's yeah. been long enough and it actually hasn't. So and, the and exact amount of days is important yeah, was my and point. She's, and Thank you for absolutely that. Absolutely correct. All right. I'll get a half a point for that one. Yeah, okay.
0: It's a good save. It was kind of out of the Whatever. A quarter of a point. Fine. Pan.
1: Okay. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> okay. Moving on. But no, if you if you didn't, if you're new to investing, you may not understand that there's a difference between short term and long term capital gains. And they are important. But but it's
0: there's lots of different types of income. We have discussed this on this program before, although it's been a while. And we'll discuss
1: them again because we get new listeners. But for our listeners,
0: I say taxes are terribly misunderstood in this country. And. Just like the technique I just described of throw out something outlandish with the intention of negotiating to something more reasonable, that's a strategy. Well, one of the things that is really easy to dupe voters with is to just say, well, it's not fair, and somebody else, some other label group, should do more, right? It's a good way to say, well, it's not going to be my problem, it's going to be somebody else's problem, and I don't like that other group, so I'm okay having them be the ones to fix it. Most notably, it's saying let's tax the rich their fair share. All of those terms, with the exception of tax, are subjective. Right. Right. Yeah. What is rich? What is fair? What is the fair share? How much is more? And like all of those, it's like you realize if you're just sitting there, if if, if, if your instinct was to say, "Heck yeah, we should do that," then I would say, "Danger," right? Because you're in the emotion land, and you're really easy to manipulate.
1: Well, we've talked about what is your measuring stick, right? How are you measuring this? And we did a whole episode on, like, how are you measuring things? Like, I I don't consider myself rich at all. But being a foster parent, there was times when I know compared to some of the kids that maybe that I fostered, their parents are like, oh, my gosh, she's so rich. And I don't feel rich at all.
0: It's 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 clearly a subjective spectrum. Very. At some point, uh, the lion's share of us will say, look, if you are in the 1%, or the top one-tenth of one percent, you're at elite-level wealth. It's hard to say, okay, you're not ultra-rich. I mean, at some point when you're like, how big is my second yacht? Okay, you're rich, <laughs> we're over <laughs> that, I get it. second
1: yacht? I need a baby yacht for the big one. <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> goodness.
0: Yeah, so there you go. The, the larger point here is that the subjective terms are things we need to be careful about because guess what the reason that here's another one of my favorites now warren buffett one of the world's wealthiest men okay right and it, it was the founder and chairperson oh, he's of a like, cent,
1: billionaire
0: yes over a hundred billion dollar net worth and warren buffett will people say he pays lower taxes than his secretary or whatever the term is that is being personal used assistant That's probably what is appropriate now, but administrative assistant. (laughs) It's whatever it is. He has administrative personnel, and they pay more tax than him. You know what that statement is? It's what I'm gonna. I'll tell you, but we'll take a break. Okay, we'll do that, and then, oh gosh, I don't even know if they had lunch. You know what? I'm gonna assume. That that the break Dale's is listening. working. Okay. And we're going to take that break. So when we come back, I'm going to tell you why your whole thing about Warren Buffett and his assistant in the taxes, why it's just totally screwed up. But we got to take the break first. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Katie Shuck. And Mad And you're listening to True Wall on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to The True Wealth Show. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn. In studio with me today is... Katie Shack. And, and Matt Dixon. Okay, and we're having a good time. If you're just joining us, check out the podcast at littlejohnfs.com and you can get caught up. We talked last week about real estate on a lot of different levels. Today, we're continuing that conversation, but at the break, we were getting into a tax... A, an issue where people sort of get... St- they oftentimes get manipulated around understanding the different types of tax. And the question was between Warren Buffett, one of the world's richest men, and administrative personnel that work for Warren Buffett, the rumor is that his staff pay more taxes than he does. And the question is, is that true? Well, I mean, if we knew their tax returns. Well, it's how they get paid, though. Yeah, so you know, the answer is no, it is not <laughs> true. All right on an absolute basis, Warren Buffett pays way more taxes right. than most all of his staff combined. Now he's a bazillionaire, so you're. But now the question is, well, somebody will say, well, but the percentage is he paying his fair share, and, and it would say, well, here's the issue: Warren Buffett doesn't take a big salary as a CEO and make buco bucks there. He's a giant shareholder in the investments that he owns. So he gets paid in the form of dividends or capital gains, which are taxed more favorably. They're taxed at a lower rate than income tax. Now he has lots of dividend checks and lots of capital gains to deal with. But those that tax rate's 20% at the maximum level currently, at least as I understand the tax code. So right. if you're going to go, you know, nerd check me on that. but. If that's the case and the top income tax bracket, which is slated to go higher, but is currently 37%, Oof. which means that's 17% higher, right? The, the income taxes are higher. So you could say, well, the that's percentage they're paying is higher and you go, well, yeah, because the type of income, income they're receiving, they earn, the type yeah. of revenue that's coming in and what they're, is taxed differently. So when somebody just says, well, taxes need to be more fair, I go, well, careful. Because here's why real estate and taxes matter. I had to tell you all that story to get to this one. And Matt, this is where you're gonna start having fun with us. Ah, okay. I'm ready okay? For it. So cause again, Matt's a Matt's a numbers guy. And Katie, you're kind of a numbers gal. <laughs> I
1: like numbers.
0: Yeah. I They're mean my she friend. I mean she does. I watched the
1: Sesame Street Show once yes, in a
0: while. <laughs> yes. And I like to count. Uh, uh. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> as we Thank you very much for that one. <laughs> David gets a point. So as I want to I want to talk about first of all how do taxes impact real estate and it affects it real estate investment just like stocks right if you are currently told by the government if you hold something for more than a year we're going to drop your tax rate from 37% to 20% or lower right and keep in mind income tax is different than a capital gain right income tax the more money you make the more your yeah. rate goes up right but a capital gain has it also is currently indexed if you will so it's progressive if you make zero a capital gain you could have no tax or 10% 15 or 20% depending on your income levels we're not going to go into what those are i don't want to distract it, you it's not that. important for it's today's show
2: up to purchasing power risk.
0: it's not so much a purchasing power risk but it's a lead up to how much do you keep after Right. It's the net versus gross return.
1: Well, and how the how the taxes are structured is trying to incentivize people to do one thing or another. Right. Right. Like it's a
0: behavior thing that the government wanted. We don't necessarily want people flipping real estate every three months. But guess what? We can do that if. It's going to be the same tax whether you hold it for three months or three years. Right. right. So the
1: incentive for holding it longer is now they're they're trying to take that away.
0: Well, if if the proposal as currently stated were to go through, that would be the case. Right. But let's think about what this means to you as a real estate investor. If you knew that buying an asset that you could count on having to give up, let's keep the math easy, let's just call it 40%. Okay. That forty percent of your profits were going to be given to the government. How's that going to affect your willingness to buy something in the first place? You're not gonna be as willing to buy yeah. it. It's going to change the comparison to other investment types.
1: Right, well, and it may it may not necessarily defer your purchasing, but if you were planning on holding it short term, that could defer it. Like, I mean, if you were planning on buying it and holding it for a while and it made sense still for rental income, You may still go through with the deal.
0: What what I will tell you is that your total return on investment is going to change, which means it changes the value of Of the the, investment. So you might look to put your money elsewhere. You might look to put your money elsewhere. Right. Uh, Because, and the other thing is, it changes to a certain extent, even when you think about the collateral. If it changes the value of something, then it can change the collateral. And there, there is a connected effect to the banking system. Right. And so, all of these things end up being an issue. And here's where real estate investors in particular are concerned. There are some ways to mitigate capital gains. One of the things that is available, and this is a more sophisticated strategy, is if you sell real estate that you have a profit in and it's not a residence, okay, so your primary residence is different, okay, but if you're an investor in real estate and you sell it, you can exchange into other real estate if you follow certain rules. It's called a ten thirty one exchange. And that's the tax code. Right?
1: I want to clarify something. You said if it's not a residence. If it's not your personal residence, it can be it can be a rental that is a residence. You just said if it's a residence.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm just that, I'm we, clarifying we, yeah, we can it, clarify. it can't be
1: it can't I, be your personal residence. Like you can own a home that you rent to other people. All
0: right, I guess I yeah. Whatever. Sorry. She's right. She's, I mean, she's not wrong about it. We're clarifying here. Uh, so like, whoa, whoa. so regardless, you know, your your primary residence, right? It can't be your primary residence and it can't be uh, a personal residence. Right. OK, then. But you could exchange it potentially. And what you could do is defer those taxes. It's kind of like when you put something in an IRA. Right. right. You don't pay the taxes until you take it out. Right. So you can defer the tax on real estate by exchanging into other real estate. And this is very popular because now I'm going to tie in another tax. So there's three relevant taxes here. And this is part of a more sophisticated strategy for financial planning and tax management. But our listeners are smart. They're going to get this. There's the capital gain. Long versus short term. The the discussion is, what if we got rid of short term? It would change behavior. Then there's the exchange. You don't want to pay the tax. You exchange into something else. Finally, there is how it is handled when you die. Not a real fun topic to think about, but when you die, your heirs, the way the tax law currently exists, receive what you owned with a step up in basis meaning they no longer inherited at the value that you purchased it for they inherited as if they were buying it the date that that you die so if that's the case it's like a reset on taxes right all the profits disappear because the original purchase price disappears and now there's a new purchase price so the tax proposal right now is get rid of short-term capital gains make everything higher Long term. Long term make get rid of or, sorry, get rid of long term gain, make gains. everything short term capital gain, make it the same as income tax, so no more difference between capital gains and income. Get rid of the ten thirty one exchange option entirely Ugh. and mm. also eliminate the step up in basis for your estate, which means heirs would have to pay the tax on any real estate they inherit when it's sold. And they still want to keep the death tax in place too. Gosh. This is an extremely aggressive tax proposal. So
1: they're eliminating tons of the incentives.
0: It would functionally change the behavior of investors in real estate, which would materially impact the supply and demand curve of real estate. Uh, Yeah. Big time. Yeah, so if you look at all the, now, is it likely to happen? Mm. My guess is no. And here's part of why. I think that a lot of the people making decisions benefit from these decisions. So, first of all, it's hard to get people like, that why are, would you
1: vote against yourself or why would you purposely yeah. cause yeah. more damage? So, for I yourself. think there's some of that going on. Okay. okay.
0: Second, it usually just means that they're, when, when the government creates changes, they close one door and they open another. So, it just means that the planning is going to become different and more sophisticated. Okay. Third, The proposals are probably more moderate than that. If I and and here, shall we play Prediction Land? Let's Let's play this one. All right. So Matt, if you this is I'm first. I'm going to ask the question, then I then you can ask it back. So the proposal right now. Let's just talk about the capital gains tax first. Yeah. What do you think would be a compromise between what currently exists, long and short term, are different, and the proposal which is make everything short term and, and make the maximum ta- and make it all income tax rate
2: the proposal um you know
1: oh so man, yeah okay me on the spot here, yeah so okay so, so, can i buzz in yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i'm gonna buzz yeah, in yeah, we're gonna brainstorm, we're, brainstorm, brainstorm. Can, we, can we play jeopardy can Let's like it. i got it um i think what they'll do is they'll increase the percentage that long-term because right now long-term capital gains are the percentage is lower than short-term so I think what they'll do is they'll increase it but maybe not all the way to where short-term capital gains is so I I, think they'll keep the long-term capital gain but it won't be at a disc at the same discount that it is now
0: I will go even bolder than that okay I think not only will they do what you just described but I think they will index and they'll, they'll essentially create another tier of capital gains and they'll link it to either the size of the gain or the person's income Because right now the attraction is, if you make lots of income, then you should pay more tax, okay? But if somebody, and here's the problem though, if you don't make a lot of income, let's say you're on a pretty humble salary environment, but you inherit something, they're trying not to tax that person painfully for inheriting an asset. So my suspicion is we get some kind of graduated capital gain scale that just adds about another 5% maybe 6% on top of the current cap of 20%. So it goes up to 25, maybe 26%, and it's probably applied to people that make more than a million dollars. I know I'm giving really specific numbers here. I reserve the right to be wrong. Nevertheless, if you look at the the backdrop, it seems to me like, look, up to about, they seem to pick on right around 400,000. Yeah. And I would think that the next tier will be for a married couple. If you have a family income above 400,000, you hit the 20% capital gains like it already exists. But if you've got a joint family income over a million bucks, now you're the evil rich people. And so that's when we're gonna tack on another 5% on top and we're gonna get you there and your income tax is gonna be maxed out. And we're probably gonna get rid of a whole bunch of other government tax credits and so forth for children or whatever else, like those all go away. You just don't qualify for anything. You know, you just pay you just full more on everything. So that's what I think is likely to roll out. See
2: and the reason for my pause here is I didn't want to come out and say it. I think they're gonna roll it through. I think they're gonna what they've proposed, I think they're just gonna slam us. I do. I think they're gonna bring all of these capital gains taxes down the pike and I think we're gonna hurt.
0: So it'll be interesting to see All right. So you have Matt versus put me on the record Matt versus David
1: predictions here.
0: I think they're bringing
1: it. Down. So I think they're I think they'll raise it. But I think they'll mo- I think that'll do a modification because right. Because I think there's again, you're looking for that middle ground. Right. It's like, oh, we're going to go really extreme. And everybody's going to go. Ooh! And then I think they're going to back it down a little bit. And that'll what will be that. Something similar will be what's passed. I so. hope they don't. I hope they don't.
0: I think that it would be very destructive to it, real estate and, to, and, and what it'll do is, and they're already saying, well, we're going to try to exempt the small family business or the family farm, and they'll fail, right? Because we're inflating the currency. And so the danger is that you will uh, essentially kill small family businesses if you do that. And I think that that is politically untenable, right? Because that's still the lion's share. There's lots more small businesses than S&P 500. So you, how, how do you, kill off all of the small businesses that arguably still employ, what, 70%, 80% of the population? Right. But if you make it so that it can't have any generational transfer whatsoever because you're just going to tax it out of existence, then you create significant problems. So I think that they have some real challenges to tackle right now. That are they're, they're And making a, a really radical tax overhaul without being incremental in nature probably creates unintended structural problems that could backfire.
1: Well, it's and a is good a, way to get
0: unelected is it
1: a permanent change or is it like a change that's a temporary change for a certain amount of time with the sunset
0: uh that has to do with how many votes they have to do something right uh, the corporate tax rate was made permanent but the personal tax rate was not with the last vote so that's gonna but so that's my other question like is it a
1: temporary thing or is it a is it a well now we're thing? getting we're, we're
0: deeper again in we're the getting weeds into the weeds. and because we're getting into political theory, I think for our listeners, the question is more about, hey, um, how is this going to potentially affect me? So we just kind of laid out the landscape of this major tax proposal. So the next question then would be, how do we, well, there's there's another element to it that we need to talk about that we just barely touched on, and that is, how, how would they treat the, the death tax? But they're going to make us take another break, right? <laughs> So, oh, and there's the music, and I can actually hear it in the headphones this time. That's cool. <laughs> so stick around, gang. We'll be right back. We're gonna pack, unpack a little bit more on this uh, tax stuff, and we're gonna do the best we can to make it interesting. But we got to take this obscene profit break right first. So this is Dave Littlejohn and Katie Shuck and Matt Dixon, and you got True Wealth, on news radio, twelve forty, KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show.
1: That's yeah. not going to hurt your frog in your fur, though, because, like, you keep trying to pull that voice, like, down into the basement, and that usually makes you more froggy.
0: It's, uh, yeah. Anyways. Okay.
1: So- <laughs> and the death texts.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, welcome back to I'll the show. I'll just be the Grim Reaper We've with the sickle about- and the death texts. I know, so, you know, after a long break, those that are just tuning in are like, what? What? So
1: now you get to listen to the podcast and we, find out what the heck we're talking I about. Know. So
0: it's posted tomorrow, littlejohnfs.com under the educate tab, and we got a whole history. This is sort of linked to the week, like last week's, also. Like, so it's this week's call or call, this week's show is linked to last week's show. And we've been talking about how there's this tax proposal out there, and it's going to impact assets a lot potentially if there is a decision in DC to increase capital gains basically to turn them into the same as ordinary income right, right? and it's going to well, ch-
1: increase short or long-term capital gains because isn't short-term capital gains already income
0: yeah in effect it's just eliminate long-term capital gains right right so just turn everything into income tax rates right just Ugh. make the same brackets for both Yeah. and just so you're we're all clear about this the system would survive that mm-hmm. right i mean like the system would survive if we did it it would reprice some things because, you know, real estate changes as an investment if you can't do things like tax deferral. And, you know, there's still some benefits the way you can depreciate and so forth. To But but a lot of the reason depreciating real estate works well is because you're depreciating an asset and converting from an income tax to a capital gain tax. So you're getting an arbitrage in the tax code. Right. Okay. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, well go, that's what CPAs are for. As I was gonna say go read tax code cuz <laughs> uh, you want to sleep better. Okay. So but but that's part of what makes this work so well for investors. If that goes away or if it's going to change, then it's going to change the calculations for how things get valued. And that's going to have an impact on you know lots of parts of the system and it's going to mean that people make they call them substitutions, right? This is economics 101, right. okay? If, if supply and demand are out of whack, if the price gets too high on something, then people substitute, right? The, the, uh, the classic example was if steak's too expensive, then people buy hamburger, right? I mean, there is a point, and if hamburger's too expensive, people buy peanut butter, or whatever it is. That's a substitution effect when the supply and demand imbalance doesn't work for somebody, so it will change the supply and demand curve for real estate if you change input variables for how you predict the price. Right. And taxes are one of those variables. Now, the bigger issue to me, I think, is the 1031. I think that's a really significant, I think think the death tax and the 1031 deal are pretty big, and it's not the death tax itself. That's actually, it gets a lot of press, but the death tax doesn't touch that many people. It does not Oregon, right, because you know, oregon has a death tax and so there's the feds a fed, have a death right tax. there's
1: a federal limit and then there's a state limit yeah. and state limits are different
0: the state limit for oregon which is where we're broadcasting from so if you're listening online check your local tax code right but in oregon i think it's a million dollars for your household and if you want a million dollars per person you have to do some estate work in order to make sure that you don't get that what they call that, that exemption combined for you and your spouse right
1: so you can get up to two million for you and right. your spouse if you n- do it right
0: it's not for you and your spouse is the interesting thing. and i'm not being semantic. no that's okay that's let's literally unpack it. when you're married you're a single tax filing unit mm-hmm. okay and so you're treated as a single unit but with proper estate planning you can use documents like a, even a will can do this but a trust can certainly do it as well will then sort of break you apart in your death so that you each Retain your million dollar tax exemption. So you can double the amount with proper planning from one million to two million in the state of Oregon for a married couple. So,
1: do I have to talk to my husband about the fact that we're going to break up after we're dead? I don't know if he can take that. Just kidding, guys. Yeah, you are. I love you, Thomas. It's
0: going to be really <laughs> awkward. It's true. Uh, the good news is you'll be dead. And you'll be dead. So, you know, we can just fight <laughs>
1: about it and. Yeah, yeah, it's like
0: you're going to get the last word. So <laughs> Aww. Wah, wah. Wah,
1: wah. sorry the bell is not appropriate for that one all right
0: <laughs> so so but the death tax is one of those at a federal level it's very high right now it's like 11 million dollars per person actually higher than that so 11 and a half million each i think so very few couples have 23 million dollars right. uh let alone more than that so it doesn't touch very many people at a federal level in oregon it touches a lot more people because with the asset inflation and housing and so forth in a retirement plan it's not uh unreachable to have two million in assets when you die well and people or forget about
1: their assets. life insurance too life insurance counts toward that your assets. Is the,
0: that's the sneaky gotcha too is if you mm. own life insurance, did you know that did not yeah see
1: i learned that too in life one of our seminars
0: life insurance death benefits are included in your estate if you're the one that owns the policy it's based on oh. the owner not the beneficiary Right. it's a funky thing right but it's there it's real
2: so it's not too hard to hit that mark it's you know, not well, like hard. like a
0: person that yeah if you go out and buy a million dollars of life insurance and you have a house with some equity in it and a small retirement plan you have over a million dollars to your name and you're done and so if something is happens to you
2: point for a variable annuity instead of like a whole life
0: uh i don't think so no no so and I, I will just i'll come right out and say it on the the program here i'm not a huge fan of variable annuities okay and and I will say this, though, that will change dramatically if if the tax code goes to everything being income tax instead of capital gains, because once you don't have a long term capital gain, which is a significantly lower tax point, then the variable annuity becomes valuable as a tax deferral. So, it will change the planning landscape if this law changes. Ah.
1: So,
2: this really could trickle down into the insurance companies. And Absolutely. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, it trickles. Yeah, no, it, it
0: touches lots of areas of the farm. There's lots realm. of
1: ripples that people are unaware of, right? It's not just a big stone that gets plunked in the center of the lake, it yeah, ripples right. all the way and, out to the shore. And it will
0: you know, we'll be really busy, right? If these changes occur from a planning perspective, we'll be having lots of meetings with clients and customers to retool strategically because we have to reoptimize all their taxes
1: well when they changed the uh stretch benefit on like inherited iras, IRAs yeah. right and they said okay now we're no longer stretching it over your lifetime we're going to do a 10-year limit that changed how you guys are planning it did so I mean just that one little change And that was
0: last year that's and that was a, last a, year a, that's in less than 12 months ago that so now occurred. the
1: conversations are different when it starts coming to your IRAs and who you're passing them to so even that one little conversation and we're talking about real estate right and a, the American dream is to own your own home
2: so is this gonna get into your traditional versus
0: your Roth as well
1: not for this not for the real estate well portion. It,
0: it could a little bit uh, because strategically now the mm-hmm. question then becomes: If we're at a really high present tax rate, and we think future administrations may change that because yeah. politically it's not something you'd maintain, then you may see more benefit to getting the tax break up front yep. with a traditional IRA as opposed to a, doing a Roth IRA where you're getting a tax break on the, the back end. Of end. It, right. So do you yeah. know, do you take the upfront tax break or do you take the, the the tax break on the other end of it? There's some other planning reasons that Roths are attractive, but You know, but we're not getting into those weeds today. It's a a very reasonable question, question. yeah. That our listeners should be thinking about and planning. I mean, there's layers to strategy here, but let's go back to the death tax thing you talked about, Katie. Okay, so I don't think the death tax is the elephant in the room, I think it's the step up in basis,
1: right? Because I mean, if you know, grandma bought the farm for thirty thousand dollars and it's now worth three million. Yeah. I wanna inherit it at three million dollars. I don't wanna inherit it at thirty thousand dollars when she right. bought it back in nineteen twenty nine. Yeah,
0: because you inherit an asset that now you if you sell it, you're gonna have to pay forty percent of it to Uncle Sam. Right. So that is no longer an asset that's worth two point, you know, nine seven million dollars <laughs> of Sorry. profit to you. It's an asset that's gonna be worth well, one point two million dollars less than that
1: right so and that hurts like who wants to give yeah, up a million bucks so a
0: 1.2 million dollar tax for inheriting the farm and if you don't keep it as soon as you sell it you get to pay the tax so what it will also but it's do, worth
1: over a million dollars so I'm taxed on it either yeah. way at this point
0: yeah I, I mean I can already tell you from a planning perspective it'll just change behaviors because what you'll see people do if they're insurable they will all right I'm gonna sell an asset now. I'm going to do or I'm going to donate it to a charity, but the charity's going to buy life insurance on me. And then when I die, I'm, that is going to go to my heirs. And Welcome you're, no, you're to
1: sophisticated do, tax planning. Oh, yeah. I mean, you think With your about, financial like, advisor, I will, David Littleton. I will
0: give away the asset because you're going to give my heirs life insurance, death benefits tax free that exceed the value of the asset. OK, I'm sidestepping taxes. And this is what sophisticated planning starts to get into is. And there's probably some tax elements to that where you have to have an insurable interest and there's you know going to be the the irs is going to scrutinize those things so i'm I'm oversimplifying on air you can't just go do that because it's like well i heard this guy on the radio yeah and by the way this is
1: not financial advice for you we're just talking about how the system works
0: but we're saying when you want to get into the the layers of planning, then you could say, oh, okay, well it's you know, grandma and grandpa own the home. We'll do a second-to-die life insurance policy, and then we can create an irrevocable trust and then hold it outside of the trust, gifts gift assets out of the estate, so that they're not taxed in the first place. And then we can replace assets using insurance strategies that pay out tax-free. Right now, we've just been able to substitute that asset or provide the cash to pay the tax, so you can keep it. Right. So these are all more sophisticated. Yeah, you just strategies. use things that
1: people were like, whoa, what, 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 irrevocable trust.
0: Yeah. So what you do <laughs> is you hire somebody that's capable of doing advanced plan design for you.
1: And explaining it to you so that you understand how the plan works.
0: Yeah. And there's some of our listeners just went, I think I, I know part of that. And then others of you just went, what? Yeah. Something. You heard their eye roll.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the 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 fact of the matter is that it's it's not going to make the system any less complicated. And it's going to make it all new and it's going to create all new advanced plan design issues. And then it's also going to create all new challenges with the IRS where you're going to have to go and seek private letter rulings and other potential clarifications. Because the implementation of this policy, that's where the devil is, is in in those details. Right. It's like, oh, sure, let's just change it. Okay. Somebody just waved a wand. How are you going to do it?
1: True. (laughs) Right. And wouldn't could. We always say wouldn't could or you know, should and could are not always the same thing, right? Yeah. Can you do it? Sure. Should you do it? Eh, Maybe.
0: So regardless, what I'm here to tell you is that it it will have an effect. I don't think it changes real estate as an attractive asset class. If your plan is to hold the real estate anyway, I think what's really attractive about real estate is that it's an income. You can still use leverage to buy it. I don't think it destroys the banking system. I don't think it does any of the things that some people will say is calamitous. Uh, I think it will really upset a lot of people, and I don't blame them because it, it does seem sort of arbitrary to say, well, you know, we're, let's, I think it comes down to this, right? We have concentrated wealth in very few hands, but people tend to look at that and think, well, it's not fair that that occurred, and so we should redistribute through taxes because capitalism's not working. And I disagree with that assessment. I think when you look at the list of first generation billionaires, right, there's lots of first generation billionaires and not that many second or third generation billionaires. Right, It's all first generation wealth from new creations. I mean, Amazon, you realize Amazon didn't exist 30 years ago? I know. Like it wasn't there. And now. Thought.
1: I'm a little crippled by how much I kind of rely on Amazon now. Like it's when I started yeah. thinking about it, I'm like, it's pretty ridiculous. Right.
0: So you think about where that's going and I mean we sit down and have some vision sessions about what's the future look like and there's really interesting stuff like you know public transit may change if every vehicle is self-driving and they every vehicle can be a taxi cab right right imagine if you purchasing a vehicle is kind of like owning something in a rental pool yeah it's like a ride share yeah what if ford motor company doesn't sell cars to the public anymore they just put them in motor pools all over the country and uber and google maps just routes everything around and smart routes traffic on the existing infrastructure you would not need more roads and you would not need more public transit you'd have cars that knew when they needed a charge that would go home and park themselves and charge and the other cars would load balance in the existing infrastructure. And it would become illegal to drive in a city.
1: By the way, if I could not sit in the line to pick up my kids every day from school, I might kind of sign up for that.
0: But, <laughs> but, like, people have trouble imagining this because we see driving as an American right and freedom. It's but kind to of to fun the next, to drive sometimes, well, though. Well, it is. But to the next generation coming up, a lot of people are forgoing licenses in high-density urban areas. What's the point? So True. it would be totally easy to get them to say, well, yeah, I mean, if I had better options, I just click summon on my phone, a car shows up, it it, it chirps and lets me know it's here. I get in and it takes me where I go. I get out and I leave. And to them, every vehicle is a taxi. Right. Like imagine a world that looks like that. What companies are yet to be invented to work in that infrastructure?
1: True. And we've talked about even with like Tesla's, right? Like if you had an hour commute every day, and you didn't have to drive and you can actually focus on other things. Like how much what how productive could you be if you reclaim that hour?
0: That's that's largely the point here. And I think it takes a while, but this is you know, we have trouble filling trucking jobs right now. Right. It's just true. just getting people that will be willing to show up, stay clean and be on time, right? No insults to the those of you out there that are getting that done right now, thank you. By the way, right? that's awesome. For those
1: of you that continue to show up to work, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Like for every industry, thank you.
0: Yeah, so big deal. But that's the the idea is that you know, if the trucking industry, if we can't get people that will show up to be able to drive, it's well, we talked about truck, autonomous, right? Right. Like, I mean, that's a that's a huge happening. concept. Well, it, it is. There's other regulatory challenges that we have to hurdle examine. over first. Well, and safety. Right? Yeah. You know, and that's not like humans are particularly safe. It's funny <laughs> statistically. It's not like we're awesome, uh, but uh,
1: what? Yeah, I know.
0: Right? <laughs> No, no, we're all above average drivers, right?
1: My favorite song. I can't drive 55. Okay, anyways.
0: (laughs) Not my favorite song. Ah, you know. (laughs) I've heard this song. Not my favorite song.
1: It just came into my head.
0: So, all right. Look, as we look forward, bottom line on all of this is, you know, when any time that there's major changes, it's going to create disruption, but it's also going to create opportunity. And I think that as investors, that should be the takeaway on this one is that major disruption presents major opportunity how do you capitalize on that opportunity
1: yeah how are you poised for the change
0: and so that's what i want to leave people with is rather than being terrified by it let's just be aware and we'll proceed not just with caution but with the uh, mentality of abundance until next time we are out of time so matt thanks for joining us today it
2: was a
1: pleasure
0: katie thank Uh, you as well how do they reach us if they need help
1: 541-375-0898
0: all right gang until next time this has been dave littlejohn and katie Chuck. And Matt Dixon. You can listen to True Out on News Radio 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.